0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for All right, some friends. Awesome. Welcome back to the show today. We have joined us uh, Denver, is that right?
1: That's right. Denver, yep. Colorado?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have Ben Higgins. Welcome to the show, Ben.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, man.
0: Are you Denver, like Denver proper or like suburbs?
1: Oh man, big news! Uh, you're going to be the first to, to know this. Uh, I just closed in a new house today uh, before oh, this wow. podcast. So right now, I live in Denver proper uh, mm-hmm. in an 800 square foot bungalow, which is awesome and it's been incredible mm-hmm. for me. Uh, but the ba- like this house was built in 1900, and the bathroom is actually <laughs> in the kitchen. Like not like if you can actually see it behind me. Uh, if you had video of this, like the bathroom is this door right there. Okay, and, like this is the kitchen, so it literally sits inside of it. It's a one-bathroom wow. place, super, super tiny. It's been awesome. But uh, my fiancé is and I are going to be getting married at the end of next year. And so she's going to want to make a move to Denver. And so I bought a new house in the suburbs for her to live in until we get married. And then I'll move up there. And it's up in a, a place like in Golden, Colorado. So it's okay. a little bit outside of it. Nice.
0: How, so you're originally Indiana? That's where you're from?
1: I am, yeah. I, I grew up in Indiana, northern Indiana, a place called the Lake. Um Okay. And then went to Indiana University and then moved out here pretty much right afterwards.
0: Yeah. Right out so is it I I used to live in Ohio. I went to high okay. school in southeast Ohio. So it's like similar climate, but you know, Colorado's a little bit colder, I assume.
1: Oh man, it, you know what the truth is? Uh similar in a lot of ways. Colorado has a lot better winters. Uh, Midwestern winters, I love the Midwest. Like, everything inside of me thinks the Midwest has uh, has just great people, uh, great things going for it. But, like, their winters are brutal and will cause me to never go back if I don't have to full time. Uh, it's gray, it's wet, it's cold, it's windy. Out now, in Colorado, you have dry, sunny, beautiful. Um, you get a little bit of snow, not a ton in Denver. But in the mountains, then, you have the, all the activity. So there's actually, like, winter is something to look forward to. Where yeah. back home in the Midwest, never look forward to winter.
0: What, why did you end up going to Denver, though?
1: So, I, uh, truth be told, um, that's a long story in, in a lot of ways, but I was in college, moved to Peru, South America, thinking mm-hmm. I was going uh, to, I was dating this girl who I love desperately, dearly, not desperately, dearly. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> I'm an only child, and she isn't, and she had big dreams and big aspirations, and she was three years younger than me in school, in college. And so, I left school and she was like, Hey, I'm just worried you're never going to leave home. Like, you're going to just chill at home. You're going to wait for me to graduate. We're going to get married and it's life is going to be really boring and, and, but really great. And I was like, You know what? No, I'm going to shake life up a bit. And she's like, Well, if you don't, you know, I don't think we're going to work. And so I moved to South America. I was like, I'm out of here. Well, Hmm. our relationship didn't really work very well when I was in South America. And so I came back to Indiana, moved back home. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) our relationship ended very soon after that and when we broke up and and this girl is one of my best friends this day so i don't and she was right like this is a very harsh statement but a very true statement she goes uh ben you've lost your it factor like you've lost what it was that i was in in, in and i was like no that's not how i'm gonna go out like i i gotta prove myself And so I was talking to the lady that was my boss at the time. She's like, hey, my brother has a company out in Denver. He's looking for like a, a very, very junior kid to move out and try. And I said, I'll take it. And so I just moved up to Denver, pretty much sight unseen, took the job. And uh, that's what brought me out here. It was like the only job offer I had. Do you, do you think you found the it factor in Denver? No. I think I gave that, <laughs> I mean, I think I gave that up years ago. Uh, I think I just became more confident in the fact that I didn't have the it factor. Uh, Uh, Which is even better.
0: You know, I don't know who this girl is, but and I'm not a marriage expert or relationship expert, but if her suggestion for your relationship is to move out of the country and go to Peru, and then you get back, and then she tells you you don't have the... In fact, I feel like maybe she's part of the problem. She doesn't sound like she's that
1: friendly. No, well, and she's 20, (laughs) 19. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Glad it brought me here. Fantastic, fantastic (laughs) journey to get here. Uh, But it was not smooth sailing the whole way, no.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I feel like I need to get this off my chest up front because people know you because you have coffee company and obviously you were on The Bachelor. You were The Bachelor. Yeah. And I feel like if I just say this up front, we can move forward. But I don't drink coffee and I didn't watch The Bachelor. We're, we're still cool though. We can still do
1: the podcast. I think. One, of the, one of those two things I'm okay with. Uh, okay. I'm not going to tell you which one, but one of <laughs> mm. those two things I'm okay, okay with and we can yeah. still talk because one of those two things works. But, okay. uh, hi, I'm Ben, and yes, I was The Bachelor at one point, I do have a coffee company, and we can still be friends, and we can still meet okay. each other.
0: Okay, good. I feel like we can move forward with that. Um, so you have a book, it's coming out, Alone in Plain yeah. Sight, and I'm reading it, and I'm feeling like a lot of energy from the Enneagram from one, from one type. Are you an Enneagram person? Are you into that stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, yeah, 100%. It,
0: are, like, it's wrong, do you talk about what type you are?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm. I, I. Do you want to guess? you want me tell you. I was going to guess four. Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. Okay. Very strong okay. four. Very, okay. very high four. Okay, that's
0: it, like it comes through in the book, and yeah. uh, th- like, like that's not a bad. It's just a. It's just an ob- observation, not a, like. Yeah. Uh, good or bad, but so if, if is it fair to say that part of being a four is the sense of being misunderstood?
1: A hundred percent. Okay. Mean, definitely, and. Uh, the other side that some people use... So I just got... Uh, there's another great podcast out there uh, called Typology. I just got done talking about it. Oh, with Ian. It. Yeah, with Ian. And no, I talked yeah. about this at length. But I said one of the one of the interesting things about being a four is you really respect authenticity. And like when you say it like that, it sounds like you're bragging about yourself. Like the guy that goes to the party and is like, I just get hurt because I'm too honest or I have too big of a heart or I just... Mm-hmm. That's not yeah. what I'm saying. Like you really do, though, respect and admire authenticity. Well part of the the flip side of that is you also have a pretty big ego because you also believe that everybody, uh, if you don't think they're authentic, then you can't even get to the point where you even like trust them. And then you think everybody kind of struggles with the same things you do. So this book really comes from a place of me thinking a lot of people were struggling with this and now finding out that a lot of people do. And I don't think that really is a personality thing. I think it's like a common thread. But my fourness... Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was a benefit because it allowed me to feel it maybe stronger or recognize it more than than if I was just kind of trying to dismiss it.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, that makes sense. And we'll get we'll get to some of the vulnerability stuff and authenticity. But my first thought was I'm reading. Oh, there's a lot of a lot of four energy, which obviously you are a four. And I think you know part of being a four is that you always feel misunderstood. How in the world does like, or maybe just explain like the, the thought process of a four thinking I'm going to go on a reality dating show. If part of my biggest fear is being misunderstood, and it seems like that is just like the most conducive environment for being misunderstood.
1: Yes. Um, What's the thought (laughs) process? Well, the thought process was this. Uh, I would love to come to you with like, it would be great. You've had really smart people on this show um, who have like all these really good life lessons. My thought process was, hey, I'm 25. I just gotten broken up with. I have just moved to Denver. I haven't dated since then. I've lost my it factor, according to this old girl. <laughs> this show has asked me to come on and give it a shot. I hate my job. I'm going to give it a shot. And that's how okay. I ended up on the show the first time. Now... I think behind the scenes of all that, you could obviously – I could uh, wordsmith that a little better. The, the part <laughs> that that was true to this – No, I like it
0: that way. That was yeah. really good. I like yeah. that.
1: I mean, if all the breakdown, is, I look back on it now, it's like if you want to simplify it, it's that. If you want to make it a little more complex, it's, hey, I didn't know who I was. I had lost my identity. Uh, I wasn't feeling fulfilled at any level in what I was doing. And I had an opportunity come through that was going to shake life up a bit, and I felt like the only answer to life right at that point was I needed to shake something up, and this seemed like the the path right in front of me kind of handed to me, and I, and I, made, I said a prayer. I don't want to over-Christianize stuff, but I said a prayer, and I said, God, if this isn't meant to be, just close one door because, one, I'm not smart enough to – to like know what's right and wrong here, I don't know what's right and wrong. But like, if this isn't meant to be, close one door and every door kept swinging open, like so wide, so clear. And I did it, and I'm glad I did because you know now I get to write a book and I get to talk to you and I get to be around mm-hmm. some amazing people.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, no judgment on making the decision. I no one ever asked me to be on a dating show, so maybe that's just because you have more of an it factor than I do. But you know, it worked out well for me, and it seems like it's working out well for you. Uh, I did have someone from my church go on a dating show, or I don't know if it's a dating show, but it's a show called uh, Naked and Afraid. Naked un-
1: Oh, that's a good show. That's one of my favorite shows. Yeah,
0: she- I was told this, and I was like, I'm not watching a lady from my church on a show that has naked as the first word in it. So I don't know what it worked out, but I was just like, yeah, I don't feel good about this at all.
1: <laughs> I think this <that> sounds fantastic. <laughs> that's great. Uh, yeah. yeah, see, like, uh, it's weird. These reality shows really do shake life up a bit. And, like, the crazy part... And I've always said this, Luke. It's, it's really funny. Like a lot of my uh, – I've, I've, I've hopefully, if I've done things well, uh, I've grown in my faith and I've grown in my understanding of God and I've grown in my understanding of myself and I've tried to like be more intentional about how I love God and love others. I've, mm-hmm. I hope I've gotten better at that through life, right? But a lot of like what I stand for who I am – is constantly changing. It's always yeah. kind of going back and forth, but a lot of it is very true to what I was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Like, I've always had something to say, I've always wanted to sit at the table. Um, and I have to go on a reality television show, and now I'm speaking at conferences. Like, <laughs> that is weird to me. Like, now people listen to me because I went on a dating show. Now people mm. want to hear my thoughts and my advice because I went on a dating show. Like, now I get to write a book mm. that like really resonates with me and it has really resonated with a lot of people. And then I believe has a message that we all could like grapple grasp onto. But the only way I get to write a book is because I went on a dating show. Like mm-hmm. that, that part of life for me is funny. And I think a lot of us could look at it that way. Like, I don't know this woman yeah. from your church and how this went for her, but like, just like you are like, Hey, I can't watch her run around the woods naked. Uh, Cause she was my church. Like I, have my grandma watching me make out with girls in HD <laughs> like with sound <laughs> so so like I'm you kidding. and i yeah you want to oh, talk no. about oh, yeah
0: oh, so oh, that is
1: you, you move you move some steps in life pretty quickly. You, you're you're no judgment, buddy. Like I I was judged and have <laughs> been judged and pushed aside long ago. Now I'm back in it. Like I feel like I'm back am back and being accepted again. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, let me say this: There's good stuff in the book. So you, you I'm glad you wrote this book, and I'm glad that it gave you a platform to write a book. Yeah. How do you process going because I'm on a dating show? I'm now on these platforms in conferences. H- how are you like going? Does this make sense? Not make sense to
1: you? Uh, well, the truth be told is this. The only answer that I've actually ever found that makes any sense uh, is that, you know, because I, I get the platform part and I get the show part. I get a lot of people watch it. And I got a lot of people that yeah. get interested in it. And my buddy had told me this long ago Um, that, you know, use this for something greater than myself. And the only thing I've ever found that is greater than myself is – well, a lot of things, but the, the, the most consistent is Jesus, is God, is the my relationship with Jesus, the way that Jesus has interacted in my life, shaken my life up a bit, uh, responded to my moments of big greatest difficulty, my moments of feeling most alone, my moments of feeling most desperate, like God has shown up. And so with that, um, I think if you ask me to get up there and give a lecture on myself or to tell you um, my, like w- the 10th things that ben believes is best to live your life like it would fail miserably but i do think that this whole experience because of the words my buddy gave me and my desire to make this about jesus in a real way not a weird way not a way that i grew up necessarily always hearing but like in a real authentic way like hey life sucks um, pick yourself up. Like, know there's a God that loves you. Know there's a, there's a God that never leaves. Like, know there's a God that accepts you. And within that, there's going to be a thousand questions. And some of your biggest things that you stand as firm beliefs are going to be shaken up at a point in your life. And what are you going to do then? Like, those are all things that I want to write about because I believe they're, they're things that I've dealt with and that others might deal with as well. So, this isn't about me. This has never been yeah. about me. This won't never be about me because if it did, it would fail. Yeah.
0: Hmm. But when you're telling your grandma, hey, stop watching me in HD make out with a girl with the sound up.
1: Um, yeah. That still that, happens.
0: <laughs> that's still. That's so. I can't get past it. That is so awkward. Yeah.
1: yeah that's what definitely else? about me. Yeah. That, that, I'm not blaming that one on Jesus. Like, it's yeah, not no. like, no, no, grandma, this isn't, this isn't really me. This is because I was like called for it. Like, at some <laughs> point, you just got to go, no, grandma, that was me. And I'm sorry. <laughs> and I didn't want you to have to deal with this in your lifetime but I promise you that <laughs> mm. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Do you guys, Does That's she ask Romney. like... Yeah, there you go. Well, all right. I, I want to get past that. I don't want to think of having to have a conversation like that with my grandma. Not that I'm going to go on a dating show ever, because my wife would probably have a problem with that. Um, as with my yeah. three daughters. There's, there's a lot of reasons why I'm not going to do that. But... Uh, Okay, so, so you have this moment on the show. You've, you say, and I'm reading this from the book, because yeah. n- nothing but love for you. I didn't watch the show. But in the book, you describe like, how you have this moment of vulnerability and, and honesty. And afterwards, so many people connected with you because of your experience of feeling like you're unlovable. After that happened, I assume there's like, weeks before what transpires becomes public, right? Like a month, two months, something like that. And yeah, m- many months. So do you, Five do months. You, wait, five Oh wow! Yeah, five
1: months about five months
0: and so do you, do you know for sure like that's going to be like shown on the actual TV show when that happens, or are you just you just guessing? okay is guessing. there do you have vulnerability hangover after being that transparent with someone
1: yeah, definitely, I mean yeah, one hundred percent you do you have a lot of weird emotions coming off that show i don 't know i'm trying to like make it relatable to real life i don 't know if there is well here's the I, thing that's relatable like. I had this experience happen at church. Whenever someone gives a
0: testimony, mm-hmm. this happens over and over again. People always feel like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't good. Brene Brennan has this thing where she says, vulnerability in myself feels like weakness. In others, it looks like strength. Yeah, and I think right. there's a reoccurring thing that not, not everyone does it on the platform that you are on, but even at the platform the church I'm a part of, when people are vulnerable, there's a reoccurring feeling of, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That makes me look bad. That, that's too much yeah. weakness to share with others.
1: Yeah, you don't really know the cause and effect, right? Because it's five months out. You don't even know if it's going to be shown. You don't know what you're prepping for. You don't know if all the things that you said will ever... You know, you don't know who you are. At this point, I didn't know I was going to be The Bachelor. I didn't know I was a main storyline. I knew that I went pretty far. Like I, So I knew like I had to at least be shown a little bit, but I didn't know what parts of me was going to be shown. And yeah. uh, yes, so what happened was this. It's really interesting. Um, I show up, and I, I immediately right away started to feel like I don't fit in. You know, as soon as that first night happened, I was like, I don't belong here. And I had told myself before the show, Ben, you always say you don't belong. You can't use this as an excuse. You've been chosen for this. Like, you were literally chosen. And then I started telling myself, well, yeah, but I'm going to be, like, the the token guy that gets kicked out. And then my buddy before I leave, who's a little bit of a jerk, but I love him, uh, was like, hey, uh, you're going to do great, man. Like, I could see you making it, like, a couple weeks. Like, there's some studs on that show. So, like hey, you're going to at least be there a little bit. And I was like, man. Like that's when I started doubting myself again, right? So long story short, I'm in the house. I feel like I don't belong. And these guys are super cool. And the girl comes in, the bachelorette, and I remember having this feeling of if I can hide and kind of like disappear, then I'll make it farther. Like because if I start talking and I start being myself, she's going to read through that and the guys aren't going to like me. And then I'm going to go home, and I don't want to go home yet cuz I want to see what this hell thing's about. Well, so I hid and I stayed quiet and I like backed up and I was very passive and very I was just kind of like agreeable. Mm-hmm. Well, came up to one point where one of the producers on the show who who was a really good friend of mine came to me and goes, I this is before he was a good friend. He goes, "I don't like you because I don't know you and you don't let anybody know you because you hide and you you cower and you sit behind the scenes." And so he's like, come into the room with me. So we go into this room and it's an interview room. We sit there and for four hours we talk. And I finally get to a place where I can admit to him because I'd never shared it ever in my life that yes, I feel like nobody ever is going to like me. That I struggled with knowing if anybody really likes me already and if anybody could like me for the rest of my life. Like, and I, and I said love, and I meant love. Like, is, is somebody ever going to look at me and say they love me for me and want to spend a life with me? Like, why would you give up this one life you have on earth to spend it with me? Was really what I was trying to say. And so after that, he's like, we hug it out, and whatever happens, happens. And then I go out to the girl, and I share that with her. I said, hey, I feel unlovable. I've, I've, I've str- I struggle with this, and I don't know why. And she responded, and I – we kind of like left it as that and then five months later it gets aired and that's when this whole thing started that's when alone in plain sight really started to form Hmm. and so people are following up with you about
0: this they're connecting yeah. to you saying hey this is me too you're you're not the only one who feels this way and you have this this fascinating move in the book where you you talk about how it's a very divided time and people talk about how divided and you make a great point like historically there was like a civil war uh which probably is fair to say that's more divided than where we are right now there are other times that people have been very divided and you make the move to go it's not that we're divided but we're we're more alone now than ever mm-hmm. and so it, yep. and you sense like that's what you experience as uh someone who verbalized something that connected to so many people is because you're verbalizing the sense of a lonely like loneliness that many of us have right now is that fair
1: very fair. Yeah, but I would say you know we could make strong arguments that this is not the most divisive time in U.S. history. Now, you could also make strong arguments that maybe it is, but um, it isn't clear. And so if we're feeling – if everybody's feeling this angst, this anxiety, this, this emotion of, hey, there's something not right, something is different – I wanted to dive in, and so I started talking to people. What is it that you feel now that you didn't feel years ago? What is it that science is showing us is happening now more than ever? And it's an, it's an epidemic of loneliness, of isolation, of feeling misunderstood, of feeling like you can't communicate, of feeling like you're in your own little silo, of feeling like you're in this world with a lot of other people that, kind of, that are humans as well walking around you without any ability to connect with them. And as I mentioned in the book, like this is... The numbers are staggering at how quickly this epidemic is growing. Like yep. more and more people every year are feeling this way and taking taking their lives maybe over it or or suffering for years with it. And and so this was my call to them to say, hey, we can blame it on being divided. I'm sure we are, but let's go deeper. Let's figure out what it is inside of us that's causing us this division.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and like you said, I mean the science is pretty overwhelming that the effect of loneliness on us today it it's staggering it, it physically our health our physical health is deteriorating because we are emotionally alone like there's a great quote by uh, the foreman, uh the former US uh, surgeon general uh, Vivek Murthy she said that um the physical effects of being lonely is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day yeah,
1: and it's more I share, I share that in the book yeah that's in the book yeah um it's wild right think about that think about that 15 cigarettes a day yeah,
0: i made the joke to people at church using that same quote, and I said, "Hey, if going to small group or being a, in a care group is that difficult, go smoke a pack of cigarettes afterwards. You're going to be better off physically if you smoke, yeah. you know, twelve cigarettes and be being small group than not. No one likes that joke, right? but I still
1: tell it. I like it. I it's, think it works. I it's think just it's, science. It's, spot it's science. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's science. science. Yeah, yeah. So, it's tough, man. I mean, it. It. Uh, and and we've like uh in a we- a lot of ways we've glossed over it. And I think this book, hopefully, is a second for us all to take a step back and go, "Okay, we have a problem, I have a problem mm-hmm. um, and and that 's the whole p- purpose of the book is so people read it and go i'm uh, at least if anything i 'm not alone like yeah. I, I might still feel alone, but i 'm not alone because at least there's one other person out there feeling this way
0: yeah, you have this great story about uh a friend comes up to you and says the line, "Can I borrow your faith i need to I need uh-huh. to bar your faith, and it reminds me of the story of the four friends who drag their paralyzed friend to Jesus and they cut a hole in the roof and lower him down. And Jesus, uh, Scripture says, you know, Jesus saw their faith and healed him. Like it was literally their faith that Jesus saw and used that somehow to heal him. I I think that's such a compelling line that we can share our faith or borrow our faith with one another. And if we're alone, like that's never, it's never gonna happen. But when we live in community and connection, there's the ability to share, share our faith with each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful. Mo- I mean, it really is. My my buddy's a great dude. He's he was my pastor for years, and um, so it's a little weird, right, when you're like in your younger twenties, and then the pastor that you've kind of listened to goes, "Hey, can I just borrow something from you for a second? And what I need to borrow is is your faith. And then you then as you start to analyze it and look into it, it's like it's really beautiful uh, because that's what community is. Yeah. It, it's and it also I think when you when you start to look at community in that way, it also starts to uh, Allow community to be more real. Like you it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be fake. We don't have to put up this uh these uh, this image of ourselves that doesn't doubt, that doesn't question, that doesn't uh worry, you know. And when we live in true community, we can hold ourselves truly accountable and love each other through those things. And when you know, stuff gets bad, we can just look at our friends around us and say, Hey, I need you in this time because I I'm I'm lost. That's okay. Yeah
0: yeah you have you have a section later in the book about faith and doubt and that there is room for for both of those that that doubt isn't the the worst thing in the world and i i think someone shared uh told me i I, forgive me if i'm wrong in this but that there's a guy in the bachelor who followed like tony jones and rachel Evans on twitter and i don't know if there's too many bachelor people do you do you know those people are
1: Oh yeah, it's it's. I mean, I follow them. That's what I thought. Be me. Okay, yeah.
0: So, because someone said that, I thought, well, that's kind of random. Because I like those are kind of Rachel now. Obviously, there's a lot of notoriety with, but like five, six, seven years ago, not so much. Tony Jones, not many people. No, Tony. And so, but if I think of Tony's work and then especially Rachel's work years ago, like that was a lot of what they're talking about, like creating space to deconstruct and to reimagine what faith is and the understanding of faith and doubt together. And so for you, like this has been part of your journey for years, I assume, if you're following their work. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, I mean, years. I don't know, like college. So 2000, I, I think this whole thing like really rocked my world in 2009. Uh, um, so it's been about 11 years of me kind of walking through this and, and getting okay with the fact that I'm going to question a lot yeah, and that I'm not going to be okay with much and that there's going to be a lot of things I hold on to very loosely. Um, and it's just kind of lasted. Like a lot of times, you know, you're in the season of life and people are like, oh, once you get out of college, like all these things kind of like clear up. No, it's like kind of been – it just became now my, more of a life work of kind of pr- trying to process, process with others, understand where others are coming from. Uh, hold things loosely so they can be on the right path and the right track. and so, Yeah, so it's been 11 years of s- deconstructing and rebuilding and, you know, understanding.
0: Okay. What is a, a harder conversation, talking to your grandma about deconstructing faith or talking to her about uh, her watching
1: you make out with girls on HD? Well, here's, the, here's an interesting point. I, there's only like maybe four or five people in my family that like, uh, would understand when hmm. I say deconstructing faith and not like freak out. So I would never bring this up to uh, you know, I'm from Indiana, man. Uh, it's it, the, where I grew up was a Methodist capital of the world. Okay. Um. So like walking into those conversations have to be very wise because if not they hear it and they, they go, my grandma will go home and start praying, you know, for the, you know for yeah. me and my loss of faith yeah. when when the, the the flip side is i actually my faith has grown like it's became different but it's it's grown it's beautiful it's it's maybe not as concrete and there's a lot of a lot less i can say is true but it's it's been really beautiful and so i just would never walk that path <laughs> no so i'd much rather talk about making out if that's <laughs> if that's your answer
0: why do you think <clears throat> Why do you think it's uh, such a terrifying conversation? And why? And I don't want to talk about your grandma specifically or anyone in your family specifically, but I think the specificity which you describe from your family is uh, similar to many people's experience when talking about faith, that it's very difficult to talk about those things. Um, why do you think that's so scary, and why is it the natural response to go, oh, it sounds like you're losing your faith if you're having these questions?
1: Well, because... Well, I, I think um, one it matters what you've held on to, right? When you start question, like when you start asking yourself, like uh, for example, what does salvation mean? Like, what does the sacrifice mean? And you know, there's theories of what atonement means um, throughout church history. And so, when you start digging into those things, and you start like bringing that up uh any w- when your family and like maybe your grandparents or your family has grown up and heard something consistent and never changing and preached and heard this is never changing this is the same yesterday today and tomorrow and they get this embedded into their system when you start to change yeah. it gets really scary especially when you're talking about something like faith because faith is hard enough right like understand that there's a god out there uh, that has all this thing together. That has whatever plays whatever role in our in our life, and that has called us to something greater amongst ourselves and in, in relationship with Him. Like that's hard enough, and so then you start ripping some of the like the core concepts away from that. And stuff comes into question now, I think it's different if you grow up in a place where questioning is accessible and healthy and good, because then you're not holding on to so much so tightly, and so when stuff gets ripped away, your faith doesn't necessarily or like your faith in God doesn't necessarily change. it just helps you reimage kind of who this God is and how this God has a part in your life. Uh, but I think the hard conversation is this, because there is nothing that would hurt me more than for my family to feel like I was walking away from Jesus, Mm -hmm. Uh, because that couldn't be farther from the truth. And I think when it all comes down to it, I've grown up in a household that desires a relationship with God so much um, that if it was at all questioned or taken away, it would be a really sad moment for many people around me. And so we just don't walk it because it wouldn't be understood. And the other part is this. The final piece of this is this. The, The interesting thing about deconstruction deconstruction is you often can't explain it because you don't know where it's going. And so when somebody asks you, well, you're questioning this about the tradition and the faith, what is it then now you believe? And you go, "Yeah, I don't know." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm I don't I don't like that that doesn't help solve it doesn't put any healing to the wound that was caused by opening up and saying, "Hey, I'm questioning this big theory." Yeah, yeah. So, just i've i've i guess i've preferred to deal with it internally yeah
0: no that makes sense but one of the things that uh you do in the book is you tell stories of uh some opportunities you've had to to become friends with people because of the platform of the tv show who have gone through some pretty tough stuff there's you know one high school kid uh his name's avery is that right and then uh there was a girl who at 22 uh, had cystic fibrosis and passed away right around that age. And uh, because of the platform, you're able to be friends with them and, and you're an encouragement to them, which I, th- I find that to be like a, a really great use of what you've been given. Um, but in those moments, you're having to, um, or you're given the opportunity to, to take this understanding of who God is and to speak life into some tough situations. And so it, those ideas aren't just like, hey, Tony Jones talked about atonement theory or this is what Rachel said about faith and doubt and where God is in those in, in adversity, but it's a chance for you to speak life and encouragement As you kind of like process all of that into those moments, like what is the life giving thing that you speak to someone going through adversity uh, from how you understand God these days?
1: Well, I think first, it won't be as much about what I say as much as what I allow the space for. And so, one thing I want is to allow the space in those moments to hear their story Hmm. and not just hear it to hear it and get through it. Like, I want to hear their story. I want to hear what makes them them. I want to ask them, who are you? And when everything's been taken away, when the labels have been taken away, when your expectations have been taken away, like, what makes you you? And I want to give the space for that in all these conversations. Now, I think that's step number one. The, the second piece of that is based on their story. Uh, the, the one thing I can do is then to, to love. And that is super, super fluffy. I get it. But maybe, uh, maybe the best way to say it is in those moments, I can try to lift up, I can try to sit beside, I can try to celebrate them, I can try to be near them, I can try to do everything the world doesn't do. You know, if if a if a young lady's struggling with cystic fibrosis, people just want to hear uh, what they want to give her pity, they want to they want to give her. Uh, pity and sorrow and sadness, and they want to talk about how bad it is, and they they just want to pray, but one of the greatest things Jesus ever did was like, hey, it's great if you say you're going to go pray for somebody, but like what action are you going to take with that? Like when you pray for somebody, what does that mean behind the scenes? And like one of the places I want to do is just sit beside this these people and in their in their biggest struggles and their biggest heart, heartbreaks and do what the world doesn't, which is just give them the space to breathe and still be human and still be loved and still be cared for and accepted uh, and that's really all the advice I could give them because, quite honestly, most of those times I'm learning from them a lot more than they could ever learn from me.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, there's an author named Francis Beauford who's uh, been on the podcast, but I, I think he, in some ways, he sums up our understanding of faith and suffering and, and, and God and adversity the best when he says we don't we don't really have an answer, but we have a story, and our story is that that God enters into suffering with us, and so the idea of like trying to explain that. Uh, to hey, this is why this is happening to you. Like it, it seems to come second to the idea of hey, if this is what God does in the person of Jesus, then this is what it means for me to be someone who follows the way of Jesus and to enter in your story and to become friends and to sit with you in this. Because that's in, in, as fluffy as you as we all hear the word love. To be ultimately, that is the end. That is what we have. It's love.
1: I mean, it is, and, and, and so like, all, like I said earlier, always trying to navigate myself to a place of better understanding of love, and like what in those situations caused to be the most loving, what in those situations uh, doesn't exactly always bring me benefit, but brings the space that we're in benefit, and um, allowing those moments, like, I mean, are you kidding me, Luke? Like, I had the opportunity to sit down with Avery, who ha- is a high school student who is literally the bubble boy. Like he's one of my best friends, but he's literally the bubble boy. Like he was in the hospital, locked in a bubble for a year of his life, way before we even knew of quarantine and COVID. Uh, Annie, who you know, like you said, has cystic fibrosis at, in her early twenties and has to process through that. Um, a buddy, another buddy of mine, who had a life changing event uh, out here in Colorado w- while I knew him. Like these, like these are moments for me to learn from because. I get to be a better man by hearing their stories. Like I get to sit beside them and I get to share it through the book. Yeah. I I always talk about one of the things that I'm most
0: grateful about my job is that you get to step into thin spaces, like moments of adversity where, you know, the preacher's called in and it it seems like because of the platform that, that you, you were given earn, whatever the right word is um, that you have that, uh, a similar ability uh, for, for people. And like you said, like those are some of the most formative experiences in my life. And I, uh, I hear you saying the same thing. That's pretty amazing. And so when you talk about being a- alone in plain sight, and this is the this is your message, and this is what's connected to so many people, as you find yourself being with someone in adversity, it's almost like the, the antithesis of what y- you express, of like, hey, I feel so alone. No one's ever going to love me, but now I get to love people and obviously receive love back from, from the Averys, from the Annies, uh, from the guy with the skiing accident you just mentioned a second ago. It's almost, it's almost like... Y- your um, your request is being answered in these moments of adversity with other people. Is that fair to say?
1: Yes. Yeah, right? So there's, there's something beautiful that I found out through the book. Uh, and I'm, I'm holding on to it. Now, this is still something that could be ripped away from me. Um, but there's something really intriguing that I found out through the book, Luke, that I believe is true is this, is that we connect best through our shared pains and our shared struggles because it's one thing we all have in common. Yeah. We can celebrate each other We can and we should and we should love each other well and we should lift each other up when good things are happening. Um, But it's those moments of deep pain, of deep sorrow, of sitting with somebody in their most vulnerable moments, most authentic moments that connect us in a way that shared celebration never could. I think it's what makes marriage beautiful. You know, the wedding day is awesome, right? Like the wedding day is incredible. You can celebrate that and it's great. But like what happens when a spouse gets sick um, what happens when a spouse loses their job? What happens when there's uh, turmoil or something you need to conf- uh, confront in your relationship? Like when you get through those, there's a lot. There's there's true beauty and there's true connection, and to have somebody sit beside you in your worst moments and say, "I still love you. I'm still attracted to you. I still want to make a life with you." Like that is something that can be that can connect you a lot more than on the day that you look at each other. Uh, holding hands and just going, yeah, we're going to do this thing together. Cause you have no idea what to expect. Yeah. And so I will say this, the, the theory of the book is this, is that we connect best through our shared pains and our shared struggles. Um, and what that means for each of you, as you read it, take it, you know, do with it, that with what you want, but it is the theory that I've, I've came up with.
0: No, I mean, I, I think it's pretty real. It, it, it's real to my experience. Uh, my wife and I, we've been married 17 years and the things that make me continue to fall in love in, in deeper and uh, you know, m- more poignant ways with my wife are the ways that she so- shows up in my times of greatest suffering uh, in, in my losses and in, in the adversities that I've gone through uh, the way she's been there for me creates um, creates a, a gratitude for how lucky I am to be with her in a way that like, Hey, we're both celebrating when things go great or, you know, Hey, we got a raise or uh, you know, something like that. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't come close to that it's in our shared pain and suffering and like that's where you find real connection so yeah, yeah. i think you're, you're spot on
1: nah, that's awesome well i'm glad i'm 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 glad that has been your experience and i and i think it's most people's if not all's, if we really look at it you know like when we really take a step back we've ran from pain and we run from struggle and we try to heal it and cope with it as fast as possible but like um uh, I just want to ask a question, like what if we started to really own our pain and understand our pain and start to like deal with our struggles um, and not live in them forever but not push them aside as being shameful or things we have to hide? What if we allow others to come around us in those moments? Um, I think that would be really cool yeah no
0: i I think that requires a lot of work and the, the same vulnerability hangover that you had after you have that moment of transparency on, on the show. I, I think it's what people have to live in over and over again of being able to say, hey, I, yeah. uh, unless I reveal this to you, unless I show you my pain, unless I give you more than just, you know, the Instagram filtered version of my life, then we're never going to have connection. But that takes bravery and courage to do that. And mm. it's far easier to, to kind of step back and go, yeah, I'm just going to put up a front and not let you in.
1: Yeah, well, but I also would argue this is... Each person has a ton of value and purpose, and I want to hear those stories. Like, I mean, I'm just speaking for myself, but like, I want to hear those stories. So, share yourself with us. You matter. You have purpose. That, yes, it's easier to run, it's easier to hide. It feels a lot more comfortable, and it takes a lot of bravery to step out. Mm-hmm. Uh, vulnerability is not easy, and I understand that. But um, this life is a weird one, and it's one shared. And so, whatever I can do in my short time here on the earth, to give people the space to share it, I want to do that, and then as a result, I also want to encourage others to because I just really want people to know how important they are and how crazy it is that they have breath on this earth and what and and I just want people to recognize as early as possible what that breath actually means.
0: Yeah, that's good. Uh, you, you talk about in the book how like rehashing these stories has uh, you know caused a great deal of like. Um, pain for you or like put you in counseling and, and brings up uh, a lot of tears were shed as you're working through this stuff. Do you, do you think in some ways like that's the um, like, that's the indicator that you actually offer the world something meaningful? Like, cause it seems like if, if it was easy, if it yeah. didn't cost you anything, then I feel like all art is a gift that you give the world and any gift that you give that doesn't cost you anything probably doesn't mean anything for anyone else.
1: Yes, 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 yes. It is... Now, I I don't think everything... Like, I think comedy has a huge place in this world. Yeah. Um, I think comedy is terrific. It it typically doesn't bring me to tears. Um, It has a purpose. But, like, my purpose is different. When I wrote this book, I wanted it to speak from something deep inside of myself. Mm -hmm. I wanted to share with the world something I've never shared before, many things I've never shared before. I wanted to... Give the best picture of who I am that I possibly could and what and, and what I was ready to do at this season of life. And so yes, it is it it the tears, the pain, the sorrows, the nights left uh awake, uh the anxiety, not fun, mm-hmm. but I look back now as is like almost in a sense like battle wounds to something to a project that I'm really proud of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good man. Well uh congrats on the book. And uh Thanks. congrats on the engagement. You uh you talk about it in the book, Jessica, who I like I assume like that's is she from the like the Bachelor World franchise, whatever?
1: Not at all. No, no. Okay. She's a she uh she's the sweetest, most uh just yeah, just the sweetest girl I've ever met in my life and I messaged her on Instagram. <laughs> And so she's not from the bachelor. You
0: you met her by messaging her on Insta.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna get married. We're, we are very much in love. Oh, well, that's great. At least, yeah, I am. I want to speak for her. Has, so she is too.
0: Has she sat down with your grandma
1: and watched an HD? You make out with other girls. No. Oh no, gosh, no. Okay. Oh, Luke, dude, that that would be worse. Like I would do. She has never seen an episode. We'll never watch an episode. Mm. Uh, it would crush that little girl's soul, and I don't want that.
0: I, there, I, I don't know if there's a betting line on this but if there is Vegas could tell me but the chance she's she hasn't seen any and she's not going to ever watch any of it
1: she has seen clips unfortunately accidentally uh, we were watching like a rerun show one night and all of a sudden there's just this scene of me and I was like oh no 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 and it was too late and it, damage already been done mm. um, she's going to see it but like let's get married first that's smart that's my, that's my strategy
0: yeah get that get that anchor ring on her so she can't leave that's, yep. that's smart that's good well Ben hey congrats mm-hmm. on the book uh, Alone in Plain Sight it'll Thank come you. out in a couple months and uh, listeners I'll, uh, I'll remind you when it comes out but you can pre-order it now so just come pre-order it now and then like you don't have to remember just pre-order it and it'll show up in two months in your mailbox and you'll be happy about that but uh, Ben thanks for the time man
1: hey Luke thanks a lot man I really appreciate yeah, it Yep, all the best
0: Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.